Welcome to the Basin Church Podcast. And as a church, our mission is to bring hope and wholeness through Jesus Christ. And no matter where you are and as you listen today, we hope that you find hope in Jesus and even move one step closer to being made whole. And when writers write, what they do is they call it the lead. And when they're writing an article, they, they begin to write this article, and you never want to bury the lead. You never want to bury what you're going to talk about. And so what I want to do is, is I'm not going to bury to, to you today. I'm just going to come out today with what we're going to talk about. And, and so you have a great framework for where we're going and where we're headed. And this is what we're talking about today. If we're talking about that God is greater than this, then here's what we're saying. That God is greater than your biggest regret. Okay, so let me put this away. God's forgiveness, this is the whole thing. If you don't get anything out of anything out of today, just get this. God's forgiveness is greater than your biggest regret. Now, let's, let's take that and then let's go and, and move in a direction of talking about this to regrets. And usually, regrets start with choices, but they usually start with what? Choices that lead to mistakes. Now, I don't know about you, but all of us in here have made mistakes. And mistakes, what mistakes do is this. Mistakes hurt or, or they, they cause issues in the lives of ourselves and they ruin others. Now, let's just put it this way. Uh, when you're thinking about our mistakes ruin others' lives, many of you can understand this. Many of you have done this before. I've done this before. It's when you're in an argument and you say something you shouldn't have said. But really, you're thinking, well, I'm trying to win the argument, and I know what's going to really zing that person, and I know I can win, and I'm going to show that I am boss. And really, we're, we're thinking about it, but we know we shouldn't say it, but we say it anyways. And then we go back and we say, well, it, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I totally made a mistake. I, I shouldn't have said that. And it could happen in a relationship, friendship, child, the parent, employee, whatever it is. But we have this idea that we're going to zing that person we hurt their lives. Now, some of you have had mistakes that have led you into your adulthood that all, went all the way back to when you were a child. See, because for some of you, someone made a mistake and it's really affected your life even as an adult. See, some of you are still reeling in from your parents getting a divorce. They just said, oh, it had nothing to do with you, but oh, we just, we just couldn't get along and, 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 there's other mistakes that people do as, as parents, and maybe your parent took off, and you don't know who your parent is. See, I don't know, but I know this, that mistakes, and, and people didn't mean to hurt somebody else, yet they did, but our mistakes, what they do is they lead to ruining other people's lives. And some of us have felt the effects of mistakes that people have made as we were children, we felt the mistakes that someone said or did something to us yesterday or a year ago. But see, we also make mistakes and we ruin our lives with our mistakes. Because if you think about it, anytime you go back to saying a mistake, isn't it true you go, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know what I was thinking. And you ultimately have to you know, reel in things that you've done, the choices that you've made the decisions and the mistakes and all the damage that has come from that. And you said, I just don't know what I was thinking. And see, some decisions and some mistakes that we make are greater than others. Some have more uh, you know, impactful consequences than other mistakes that we make. But have you ever looked in public? If you, if you look any time in the news, read anything, you will see this. 
that people in the eye of the public make mistakes all the time. And whether they do it willingly or unwillingly, you know, usually what, what ends up happening is they make a mistake and then sometimes people run into the law and then they have to do jail time. I mean, you can go back to, to a lot of any, any famous person, whether they knew insider trading or whether they committed a crime, you know, corrupt or whatever it is, they've gone back to that. And then now it seems like this, that there's these artists that have these lyrics, not on purpose, but they do lyrics in their songs and all of a sudden culture wants to cancel them. And so if you look at this, they're going, well, wait a second, willingly or unwillingly, they have to come out and this is what they have to say. I made a mistake. Because they want to, to move on with their life. They want to be forgiven and go on. And so they have to come out and, and say these things and reel back so they don't get canceled and all this other stuff. But when you think about this and understand this, these mistakes, these mistakes lead to regrets. And there's not one person in here who doesn't live a life or has said, man, I wish I could go back and do something differently. I mean, think about it. How many times have you heard someone say, I wish I would have not said, I wish that was not the last thing I would have said to that person before they died. Or I wish I had more time with, and you fill in the blank, before they passed on so early. Or I wish I would have raised my child differently now that they're an adult. Or I wish I would have had a better relationship with my parents. And the list goes on and on and on. But the reality of all of this is that we want to look back and we want things different. And the reason why we want a do-over, and I call it a do-over, if I could go back in time to when I was 20 or when I was 15, I wish I could have a lot of do-overs. And the reason why we want do-overs is what? Because hindsight is what? 2020. And when, so we can't go back in, we can't have all these do-overs, but when we live with these mistakes, here's what we can do. We can learn from these mistakes, can't we? See, when we make mistakes, we want to learn from our mistakes, right? Because the saying is, history what? Repeats itself. But we don't want history to repeat itself in our lives, do we? We don't want that mistake that we ultimately caused that person or that individual or our own life and that consequence. We don't want it to repeat. So we must learn from our mistakes. So what do you do if you live a life with regret? What do you do today if you, if you're, you have these mistakes and you have these regrets and you're walking through life and you're thinking, I just can't go any further and I can't move forward in life. And it feels like it's kind of holding you back. What do you do? Because the, the sheer fact is we've all made mistakes and not one of us in this room has never regret something. So what do you do when you feel like it's got you stuck in life and your past is holding you back? Well, the good news is you're not the only one that's maybe felt like that or dealt with that. Because in, in Scripture, if anyone could feel like their past would have held them back, was a guy by the name of Paul, who originally was Saul. Now think about this. If you don't know anything about Paul, Paul is the guy who is after Christians. He's killing Christians. He's killing people who are, who are following Jesus. And then he has uh, this kind of this encounter on the road. He's on the road up to Damascus, which is north of, uh, towards Syria. So he's going up towards Syria, and he has this encounter with God, and, and God hits him, and he begins 
the, this, this journey of becoming a Christian. So he's killing people who put their faith in Jesus, and all of a sudden, he has his faith in Jesus. Now, now think about this for a second. Think about it in terms of a football game. You're playing on one side of the team, you're, you're playing, and all of a sudden your opponent at halftime goes in, changes his jersey, and puts your jersey on. How are you going to feel? Well, wait a second, you were just my opponent, and now you're on my team? Now think about that, that's Paul. So all these Christians are thinking, well, wait a second, hold on a second. You were just my opponent, and now you're saying you're a Christian and you're on my team. How does that work? You really got to think about that because most of these people were kind of leery, like, I don't even know if he had a conversion. How do I not know you're going to kill me if I invite you into my house? How do I know you're not really changed? But see, what happened to Paul was, if anybody, he has this whole past and he thinks he can't move forward, but in fact, it does move forward. And here's how it moves forward is because God does something great in his life. And God transforms his life. He begins to do something. And ultimately, what Paul does is he begins to bring the good news. He's no longer a murderer. He's a mouthpiece. And he brings it to Gentiles, people who are non-Jewish. Which, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. So if you've heard the, the message of Jesus, you can thank Paul. And, and God's steering him in that direction. So he changes people's lives. He changes the ancient world at that time. And so now you have this idea, and he begins to have this transformation. I'm going one way. I change directions in life. My past could have held me back, but God has transformed me. And then he begins to set up these churches. In one of these churches, he put a, a young pastor in by the name of Timothy. And so if you look at Scripture, there's two, there's two books in the Bible that have Timothy. One is 1 Timothy, which he writes specifically to Timothy, and the next one he wants Timothy to read in front of the church. So in 1 Timothy, what Paul is saying is, is he talks about it, and you can open up to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll get there. And I'm going to start in verse 15, but before I get there, let me tell you what Paul's kind of talking about before he gets to verse 15. He says this, he says, um, God's grace is wonderful, it's amazing, and I've experienced it. And so in this letter, he's telling Timothy, look, I am violent, I'm a blasphemer, I'm a murderer, but somehow God's grace has been poured on me abundantly. And he says, I can't explain it, but there's something that's happened in my life. And then he gets to this point in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Here's what Paul begins to write to Timothy. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And I like this. Of whom I am the what? Worst. No shame in his game. This is who I am. It's what I'm all about. And so what Paul does is when he says a trustworthy saying, he says this, he concludes the statement about salvation. And there's two conclusions he comes to. What? Jesus came to save sinners, and Jesus came to save me because I'm the worst of sinners. I am the worst. And Paul would say that salvation is supposed to be welcomed and because it's not just a theory. Paul actually experienced it. Paul was a man who experienced the grace, the mercy, and the patience of God. And as he begins to talk about, well, I'm the worst. Think about this. 
why would anyone choose the worst of anything? Look, if I'm going to hire a contractor to do work on my house, what am I going to do? I'm either going to ask somebody or I'm going to go on Google or Yelp and get ratings. Right? If I'm a, if I'm on a team and I'm trying to win, I'm going to pick the best athlete, correct? So why in the world would I go and pick someone who has a lazy work, work ethic and has poor ratings to be a contractor, why would I hire them? And why would I hire an athlete who doesn't really care and sits in right field and kind of goes like this all day long? I'm not going to win, so why would I pick that? So you're wondering, so why would God pick the worst? Because the worst doesn't go, it doesn't compute in our brains, does it? Because if we want the best, we pick the best. If you want the worst, you pick the worst well god picks the worst to make an example and transform his life and the whole point is in the next um verses it tells us why god picked the worst of sinners he picked a murderer who's who's persecuting christians it's because of god's grace it's his mercy and god is patient so look at this in the in verse 16 he shows exactly paul writes exactly why god chose him it says this but for this very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So Paul represents the greatest example. See, because if God could turn Paul around, and Saul before, if he could turn him around, a persecutor, God can turn anyone around. If God can change his heart, he can change anyone's heart. And here's what you understand about God's patience. It has no limit with Paul. He waited, he waited, he waited till the right time to change his life. And for Paul, you have a man who goes from a murderer to a mouthpiece, the worst possible sinner to a saint. And it's really amazing how God does this. And so he, he begins to believe something about him that his life's transformed. He says, I believe that I was the worst of sinners. And see, when Paul says that, here's what you have to understand for you and I. You're without an excuse. If Paul is the worst of the worst, then you and I don't have a, we don't have an excuse for what we've done. See, you can't say, well, God won't forgive me because God can't use me because, or I am the worst and I have sinned and I am, you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't. But I know what Paul's done. And if God can transform Paul, he can transform any of us. And as he talks about this, some of us begin to live that out, don't we? We, we live that out phrase, well, well, God can't use me. God can't love me. And we give all these excuses to God, and some of us walk through life believing that. We believe that there's no way God can love me because of what I've done. But yet he can love someone who's persecuting his people. See, God's love goes beyond anything you have done. His grace and mercy extends, and God has great patience with you. It doesn't matter what you've done, it's what he's done.
So as he begins to, to go on this, he, Paul begins to, to speak this, and here's what he begins to talk about. He says that God's gracious, he's merciful, and he's patient. And then what he begins to unpack and unfold is this, that he gives glory to where glory is due. He says, he stands in awe of God. He's like, I can't believe that he changed my life. I can't believe he transformed my life. And he says that he deserves all the glory. He deserves all the credit. And he talks about two big characteristics about God. He talks about, and he, what I put was this. He talks about his, his immortality and his invisible characteristics. That God is immortal, but God's also invisible. And you can't explain it. You can't understand it. But he just knows I experienced the mercy, the grace, and the patience of God. But even though he was transformed, so Paul has this transformation and his life begins to take a shift, here's what ends up happening. Even though it shifts, look, he still talks about that there's a struggle in his life. See, he becomes what they known as back then, they, they called them followers of the way, which we would call them now Christians, people who follow Jesus or follow Jesus' example. So he goes to murdering them to becoming one, but he says, even though I became a follower of the way or I became a follower of Jesus, there was something still happening in my life. And so Paul writes this letter to another church, and it's in Romans, and he writes to the church in Romans, and he kind of explains God and he explains salvation, how God is, but then he kind of explains his own life and what he's dealing with. So if you have your scripture... You can open up the Bible, or it's up here, and it's, it's Romans chapter 7, verse 14. And he begins to talk about his struggle, again, even though God has changed his life. And here's what it says. It says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Now, so what Paul is describing here, okay, and what you have to understand was he, when he says this in verse 14, he's describing a conflict as a Christian that he's having. So what he is doing is that he is describing that even though I'm a Christian, there's something inside of me that is holding on to me, that there's sin still in my life, that I'm still this kind of the slave to sin. And I want to do um, and be spiritual, but I find myself being drawn to things that are un spiritual and so there's a struggle in me even though that God has redeemed me and done something in my life there's still the struggle as I am a Christian and then he begins to um you you begin to understand what he's talking about and you understand that he's kind of in this quandary in verse 6 15 and 16 and here's what it, and here's what it says it says I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. So I don't do what I want to do. He says I end up doing what I hate to do. Okay? So I want to go this way, but I find myself going this way. And then he says this. And if I do not want what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Now, here's what you understand. Okay, here's what you understand with Paul. He's not making excuses. He's not shirking responsibility. He's not saying, well, I, I want to go this way, but I'm ending up going this way, and he's not making it. He's not saying that. He's not making excuses. Now, all of us know people who make excuses. Children are very good at this. He told me to do it. Did you do that? And they got ch chocolate all over their face. No, I didn't. You know, chocolate. They're, they're guilty, right? 
Hey, were you talking in class? No, he or she was talking to me, right? And kids do that. And even as adults, we do it, don't we? We still play the blame game. Well, look, Paul. Well, Paul's not blaming. He's not. He's not making mis- uh, you know excuses. He's taking responsibility. He's just being honest. I want to do what is right, but I end up doing what is wrong. Okay, he's totally saying that, and he contrasts the law by being spiritual and being fleshly, and he contrasts this this idea with a slave to sin, and. We, what he's saying is that this sin or the slavery of sin is manifested in my life because I wish I could do what is right, but even as a follower of Jesus, I find myself doing something that is wrong. And he says there's this internal struggle with inside of me, and I don't know what's going on, but I just know that I want to do what is wrong. And so you and I, here's what, if we're honest... Paul's situation is not just isolated to Paul, is it? It's all of us. Think about it. Even as adults, you know what is right, I know what is right. Do we always do what is right? No. Because if someone says, don't cross the line, what do you and I want to do? Cross the line. Don't touch the wet paint. Well, let's really see if it's wet. Right? And I know that's kind of silly, but we know what is right, yet we do what is wrong. Just what we do. And so Paul continues, and here's what he says. There, he's saying there's a pull in that direction. And there's a pull to do our own ways. And then he continues, and he says, For I know that, that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but I do the evil I do not want to do. Listen, and he, this is what he says. And this keeps on, I keep on doing it. Keeps on going. So he says, look, there's an internal struggle here. And the internal struggle is this. I don't do what I want to do. I do what is evil. I don't do what is good. I do what is evil. And, and he says, and it keeps going. It doesn't stop. There's this internal struggle in me, and it's always going through my daily life. I want to do what is right, but I do what is wrong. Now, he continues. Now, if I do what I want to do, and is no longer who I, uh, who, no longer who I who do it, excuse me, but it is sin living in me that does it. So he says. That when he uses the phrase me, that it means his spiritual nature, or his, yeah, his spiritual nature. It's a principle that he is expressing through his mind and his body. And what Paul would begin to say is he recognizes even as a believer, there's something inside of me. There's something going on inside of me. It's called sin. It's my nature that I want to do what is wrong. Something that is contrary to what God wants me to do. He's changed. He's transformed. But he still has this eternal struggle. And he continues to have this internal struggle. And it's not just a problem, again, for Paul, but it's for who? All of us. So what I want to do is I want to... You're probably like, oh my gosh, you are overwhelming me. I fully don't understand what you're talking about. So let me break it down real easy. And I'm going to break it down. And I'm going to help you understand this better. Okay? So over here, right, I've got... You or me or Paul, right? One guy right here. 
And so what you have to understand is what he's talking about is this. He says, with inside of you, right, there's two parts to you, two parts to me. You can see your flesh, right? It's called your mortal body. Your mortal body is going to decay and die, right? But inside of you, here's what Paul's saying, inside of me, there's something that I want to do what is right. And what we do is we call it the soul. So if, when you look at these two individuals here inside of you, this, this picture, what you begin to understand is when Adam and Eve sinned, these are spiritually dead. So what happens is, is if, if nothing happens, nothing is transformed in your life, physical, oops, sorry, physical death is going to happen and you're, you're going to die rot until Jesus comes back. Here's what happens though. When God or Jesus, what? You're laughing at me. So when Jesus begins to fill your life and he redeems you, okay? So you get filled in and we call it your soul. So now your soul is redeemed. So now your soul is changed. Your life is changed. As soon as you offer your life to Jesus and say, okay, I, I place my faith in who you are and what you can do and I believe who you are and you're my savior, then the inside of you changes, your soul changes. And as I feel it, it's terrible. But you see there's, there's the yellow part and then there's outside of the part. And here's what happens. So your outside is your flesh, your desires, your nature of how you were created. Inside is redeemed. And the inside is where Jesus comes in and, and removes all the junk out. And the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. And when the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, he begins to transform and change your life. But you still have this pull of the outside, your nature, going one direction. So God begins to come in, he redeems you, he restores you. So here's what I want you to understand. So inside of you, you have your inner part, or your, your, you have your flesh, which is drawing you this way, which is to what? Sin. I don't like that. Okay, it's drawing you to sin. And the one that is redeemed is pulling you towards where? God. So to break it down for you, that's what's happening inside of you. And what Paul says is, this is what happens inside of me. See, Paul was dead. He was going in the wrong direction. And look, and that's why it's so key. When people say that, well, you're going to have a new body, you're going to have a new body. You're outside your, your moral flesh and all that, you're going to have a new body. It's going to, this one you're in right now is going to die and decay. But you will have a new body until Jesus, re when he returns. So, Paul says, look, I have been transformed. My inner part, my soul has been transformed. But yet, I'm a Christian. I still have this struggle. And I don't know what to do because I want to do this and not this. Aren't you glad you came to church? Good news. There's a struggle in your life and you want to do what is wrong. It's great, isn't it? It's horrible. It's horrible news. So basically, Paul, you're telling me that I am going to follow what I'm not supposed to do. Yep. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. It's horrible. Right? And listen, when people... No, you know what young people say these days? You know what they say? The struggle is real. No. The struggle is real. This is real. Not getting an A on your math paper is not real. Right? 
Losing your cell phone for a week is not real. This is real. The struggle is real. And so you have this internal struggle that you have to try to do what God wants you to do, but you, like me, we want to do what is wrong. And I can tell you, if you ask any of my kids, they'll say, Dad does more what is wrong than what Dad does what is right. Because that's what's inside of us. We're struggling. And I'm like Paul, and you're like Paul. So how do we get to a place where we ultimately want to do what God wants to do? Because there's three things that we, I think we try to do when we do the wrong thing. And here's what people try to do. Is the three things that we try so that we can follow God is here's what we do. Some of us, we think it's a formula. And if you've ever been in church long enough or, or you just haven't been there very long, here's what Christians tend to do. They think that if I follow a formula, then I'm going to ultimately defeat sin and follow God. That, and what I say by this is, is if I read this Christian book and get all these good hints and do all this, and I follow this formula, then that's going to defeat it. If I follow this three-step, easy formula to growth, to spiritual growth, and walking with Jesus, and that's going to change my life. If I give up some of the things I used to do when the struggle was real, if I get rid of some of my music, if I get rid of some of my books, if I get rid of these things, then, this formula, then I'll follow God. Paul says, nope. And if any of you have been in church a long time, you know this. A formula does not work. Because you're going to get mad, and if the formula doesn't work, you know, what you, you know who you're going to get mad at? God. And you're going to hate God. Well, this didn't work. This was supposed to work. And here's the other reason why it, and, and we try to do something when we try to go to and follow God. We want some super spiritual experience, don't we? That if I encounter God differently, if I encounter him this one time, then if I have this super spiritual experience, then ultimately I will defeat sin and I'll be able to follow God. Have you ever been in church and someone just starts raising their hands like they're having a super spiritual experience with God and like they walk out and they go, I'm changed. And then they find themselves doing the next thing, what they're not supposed to do. Look, I believe the Holy Spirit can speak. I believe the Lord can do things in your life. I believe you can have an experience and encounter with him. But don't fool yourself. Having a one-time experience with God is not going to defeat sin in your life. It's not going to defeat sin in my life. You can't just think that I come Sunday and I'm praising Jesus and everything's good, that I walk out of here that my life's going to be different for good and I'm going to defeat sin. You're not going to defeat sin. Your life might be good, but you're not going to defeat sin. And then here's the other thing we try to do is we try to avoid the struggle. We try to say, oh, this doesn't really exist. And so what we do is we avoid it, and inside of us we feel real empty. And you know when you're empty, what do you do? You try to fill yourself, don't you? And some of us, we fill ourselves with our work. We fill ourselves with trying to be busy. And there's more people who try to fill themselves with substances that ultimately get addicted. But the reality is, is they're empty. But you know, they can't put it in words. This is their struggle. But they think, if I, if, if I just avoid this and don't look at this, I'll fill my life with something else, then I can defeat sin. That's not how it works. 
And here's what Paul says for you and I. He would say this. He would say that what it takes, the only thing that it takes is Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. When you encounter Jesus, your life changes. When Paul's life hit Jesus, his life was changed. And when you, when you understand that the only thing that's going to help me is that and what he did for me and what he did for you to wipe it all out and to say, this is, this is who I am. This is what I came to do. I'm patient with you. I'm bigger than your biggest regret. And I love you no matter what. Then when he invades your life, he changes and you have victory through Jesus. That's where it happens. It's not some experience. It's not some formula in Christian, Christianese and all this other stuff, mumbo jumbo. And, and it's not just avoiding it. It's Jesus. And so, and then Jesus transforms your life. But here's what, what else happens is you have to accept the forgiveness. See, you have to accept the forgiveness what God done, did for you. He loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross so that you could, what Paul said, it, so that he could believe and have eternal life with me. That you don't have to be separated from me. They accept forgiveness in your life. And for some of you, maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're not aware of this whole struggle. Maybe you're not aware of what's going on. Maybe you're avoiding it. I don't know. But what God wants to do is you, he wants you to accept the forgiveness in your life. That's what he came to do. He loved you so much that he didn't want you to continue on the path that you're going. Like Paul, he wants to transform your life. And you do that when you say, okay, Jesus, you're not just a mere mortal man. There's something different about you. And I'm going to place my faith, I'm going to place my trust in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And your life transforms. Now, currently there's some of you who have done that. You've accepted Jesus' forgiveness, right? But not fully. Because currently, you're in a spot in life where you feel, like I talked about in, in front in the beginning, you can't move forward. And the reason why you can't move forward because there's something holding you back. And if I drill down to the issue, which I won't, I can tell you it's a decision or a mistake you made that feels like you're being held back and you're not being able to move forward. And so what currently what, you, what is happening is it's deep down dark secret and you're like, well, if somebody knew this, If somebody understood what I did, and so you kind of hide it there. Here's, here's, here's what is happening. You have all these reasons why God can't love you, why God can't use you, and you look at that, and yeah, you might have accepted his forgiveness, but it's still holding you back from God fully using you and using your potential. And so as you begin to hide that, what is unfolding inside of you is this. You haven't forgiven yourself. You have not forgiven your past. You've not forgiven what you've done. And so you can't do what God has called you to do. You can't be all that God has called you to be if you can't forgive yourself. You know what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. God is saying, I've forgiven you. I love you. It is all about the past. I understand what you've done, but I still accept you for what you've done. So let it go. I want to use you. I want to do something in your life. I have plans and purposes for your life. But you have to forgive yourself. You have to let it go. See, because God has already forgiven you. 
He's already patient. He's already loving. He's already kind. And some of you are being held back from God using your full potential and using you for the kingdom and for his glory like he did Paul because you are hung up on something you did and you can't forgive yourself. The only thing that is going to really, besides sin, that is going to prevent you from walking the way God wants you to walk is yourself. So stop. So forgive yourself and forgive your past and walk and go in what God has you to do. And here's the other thing. If God is greater than your biggest regrets and he forgives you and he loves you no matter what, if he's greater than that, then don't you think he's greater and his forgiveness extends to other people? Because think about it. Some of you in here, there's somebody has hurt you and God has, excuse me, God has forgiven you of your regrets and he has forgiven you, but somebody's really hurt you and that person probably regrets what they've done to you. And they probably are torn up and they're probably feeling terrible and you haven't forgiven them. And they can't go on in life because of what they did to you. Here's what Paul is saying. That God has forgiven you. You in turn forgive other people. That if my forgiveness is greater than your biggest regret, my forgiveness is greater than than their regret. And God's all about relational building, restoring relationship. That's what he's about. So here's the pushback. Well, Joe, you don't know what they've done to me. My dad walked out when I was 16. My wife hates me. I don't know what they did to you. Can I tell you this? I do know what Paul has done. And short of a murder, there's nothing they can't forgive. Right? They, they, they haven't done what Paul's done. They haven't murdered somebody. So if they haven't murdered somebody, it's not what Paul's done. And see, look, God transformed Paul's life. God can transform that person's life. He can transform yours. And for some of you, there might be a Paul in your life. Think about this. Think about this again. Let's go back to the first church. You're telling me this guy switches teams. He's now on my team. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to trust this guy. Are you? I'm going to be a little leery. I'm not going to let him in my house. I'm going to see his actions and what they do. you got to understand this, though. At some point, the church, the body of believers during that day in modern Ancient times. Here's what they had to do. They had to forgive Paul for what he did. And then they had to trust Paul and trust God that he knew what he was doing. So much so that Paul could speak in in their lives and influence them. You talk about forgiveness? You talk about God's forgiveness taking away someone's biggest regret? He took away Paul's. Took away yours, took away mine. And some of you, there are Paul in, there are Paul's in your life that you need to choose to forgive. I don't care what they've done to you. They probably haven't murdered somebody. 
But if God can forgive a murderer, he can forgive whatever that person has done. And God can be bigger and more gracious than you can imagine. His love is unconditional and his forgiveness is unconditional. There's no strings attached to his forgiveness. Now, we talk about all that and we, and we, we have to release those things. But here's the one thing. So you, it starts with Jesus, but then it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's, here's what happens. We need to walk God's way and you must walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way you're going to win, the only way to struggle is you're going to pull towards God's way is first by Jesus and having that redemption in your life. And the second thing is is the power of of the Holy Spirit moving in your life. Because I can't, look at I can't go this way if I'm not listening to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides, he instructs, he moves, and he, t- and he guides you. See, when Jesus left, he said what? I will give you a helper. I'll give you a comforter. I'll give you someone that guides, and that's the Holy Spirit. And so we're open to what he has for us. We're open to what he wants to do for us. And see, even though there's this internal struggle, God, the Holy Spirit draws us to obey the Lord, to obey God. So that's what happens. Finally, I'm done with this. It's going to be a, it's, it's a daily struggle, right? This is a daily struggle. But your response is what matters. See, you can try to do all, all these other things. You can try all these other formulas, all these other things that you think might work, but it's only what your response is how you're going to master this struggle. That's it. So I don't know where you are today. Real quick. I don't know whether you're at a place where you need that the Lord just to forgive you and basically dwell in your life. I don't know if you're a place where you got to forgive yourself because of something you've done. You've done something so horrible you can't even forgive yourself. Maybe you're at that place. Maybe you need to forgive somebody else because of what they've done to you. I don't know where it is, but here's what I, I do know. It can all happen because of God's grace and his mercy. And it can all happen because God's forgiveness is what? is greater than your biggest regret. Thanks for listening. And if you would like more information on our church or you'd like to visit us in person, you can go to basinchurch.org. And as always, we hope this content helps you on your faith journey.